0: So, is what is in your bank account really yours? I don't know about you, but it's got my name on it and Lori's. We share that, of course. But sometimes I feel like I'm just a middleman. You know what I mean? That it comes in and it goes out the other side. You know, uh, we think about this is ours. We've earned this. We've made this. But uh, more than likely, you're going to give what you got to somebody at some point for a bill you owe that's uh, due at some point in the month. Or you're going to buy something and it's going to pass on to somebody else, right? We don't seem to hold on to it very long. If you were to cash out today, I mean, just cash everything out, what you have, what you owe and everything, would you come out ahead? Would you, would you really have anything, right? Or if you were to really cash out today, I mean, like check out, as in die today, would it really matter what you have in your account and who it belongs to? Because obviously somebody else gets it at that point in life, right? And for our discussion today, for all it matters, who do you belong to? Who do you belong? If you belong to God, then doesn't it make sense that everything that you have in your possession, however that may be, actually belongs to Him as well? We're in a series that we've been in for two weeks now called "Blessed," and last week we talked about the fact that even though we all would say that we're blessed, that our idea of a blessed life probably isn't the same thing as God's idea. And we read through the Beatitudes, and we said, wow, that doesn't sound like our idea of the blessed life. I mean, mourning and poverty and persecution and attack, everything. It doesn't exactly sound like what we want uh, when we think about blessings, right? So God's blessings are different, obviously. And God said that we would be blessed, in fact, if we die to ourselves and our desires for life, and, and we find ourselves in Him, we find life in Him. And we talked about two principles about being blessed, acknowledging that. The first one is generosity, that if much has been given to you, much is expected from you. And the second one is stewardship, and that what we don't give away, God wants us to use it wisely. And we talked about the fact that both these are necessary, too much reliance on one. Generosity giving it all away is poor stewardship, but being, you know, a tight or refusing to be generous is not good ship either. And we said, in turn, that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, and that whenever we give our life to Christ, essentially, we put all that we possess at His disposal. All of our time, energy, opportunities, resources, we lay it all down for Him. And that's why the Bible says that we should count the cost of following Jesus. You know, sometime today, we don't think about that. We look at all the positives, which are a ton of them, but we don't think about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't automatically mean that we have to give everything that we have away. Jesus, as far as I know, only told one man, we read his story last week, that He was to give everything away and give it to the poor because we know He loved that more than He loved God. But it does mean that we have to be willing to give because we have been blessed because He commands and He leads us to do so. And He, in turn, when we are faithful, He promises to bless us, in turn, with more. You know, we also said last week that we were blessed to be a blessing to others. And and how can we do that? Well, we can bless people in a lot of ways. That doesn't involve money, right? We can bless people, number one, by sharing our faith with them. That's the greatest need they have, the greatest treasure that we have. So that's a great way to bless people by sharing our faith. We can bless them by serving our community by just loving people, by reaching out, by being a positive influence in our community. We can serve and love and give by owning the responsibility of people around us. We can also do that by using our financial blessings to bless other people as well. And you know what? When we start doing that, we're going to realize that not everybody in the world understands that or does that. And that goes against the flow of our culture. In fact, our culture, uh, the best way I've ever heard it described is the culture says that you get all you can— and you can all you get, and you sit on the can, and that's what you do, and that's how you, that's, that's how you manage what you have. Now, we know that that's not what God tells us about how to handle our blessings, right? And really, the foundation of all this is to understand the idea of ownership, and that's why I ask you, is what you have in your name actually yours? Because we have a really flawed view of ownership today. And we think that if it does have our name on it, that it automatically belongs to us. And that's why I said that most of our money and our possessions are kind of moving through us. We got them from someone and we'll give them to somebody else at some point. Everything that we have today, we ask the question, where do we get it? Where do we get what we think we own? And the answer is obviously someone gave it to us. I love this verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 4. And what do you, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did re- indeed receive it, then why do you boast as if you had not received it? A lot of us pretend that what we have, we actually created and made ourselves. Someone gave it to us by their generosity or by the fact that we gave them something in, retur- uh, something in return for that. We were paid for it or we sold it and we, we got it. But, but somebody gave it to us. What did you have that you did not receive from someone else? In fact, when you think about it, God is the only being in the universe the only being in the universe to possess something without first receiving it. The only being because he made everything. And he is the one who, in fact, has everything and owns everything because he made it from nothing. And none of us can say that we made anything from nothing. We always start with something that we got from somebody else. It's nothing more than life, it's life itself, from our parents and in turn from God. But we received Everything that we have. So that leads us to the first thing I want to talk about today, and that is that when you think about stuff in the world, it all belongs to God. It really all belongs to God when you think about it. Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I think that about covers everything. I don't know how you could give a more universal statement than that. Everything in the world, everything in it, everyone belongs to God. Why? Again, because He created it. Genesis chapter uh, 1 tells us about that. Psalms chapter 50 says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were to be hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Isn't that great that God says, I don't really need anything from yours because it's already mine. Every insect, every ant, God knows it, God made it, and He owns it. I mean, that's, that's just boggles our mind, doesn't it? Because if you were to look at a map or at a globe and think everything on it belongs to God. If you were to look into space, every planet belongs to God. Every star, every, every uh, a piece of cosmic dust belongs to God. In our earth here, uh, every drop of the ocean belongs to God. Every blade of grass belongs to God. And when you think about this, the godless governments that deny there is a God and and that that try to push God out, God owns them. He owns their land and He owns them. Isn't it arrogant of something that is a creation to deny that His Creator exists? everything. And I was just thinking about how patient God is. How patient God is that everything that He owns, that He made, He allows people to claim it and and deny Him at the same time. I don't think I would be that patient or that benevolent. He's such an awesome God. At some point, He's going to reclaim it, but at this point, He allows people to think it's theirs, right? And He allows us to think that what we have is ours. Our money, it's His. Your life, it's His. Whether you even acknowledge that He exists, the reality, it's all His. Because He is the one who gave you life. He gave you your health, your education, your skills, your intellect, your opportunities, and the freedom to choose what you do with your life. Everything of it, everything you have belongs to Him. And He puts a lot of it into our hands, and He gives us uh, the freedom to choose what we're going to do with it, but ultimately, it's all His. And since it's all His, God could choose to stop giving to, to us. Or God could even choose to recall your life. He could do that, you know, anytime He chooses because it's His. For those of you who are reading through the Bible with us a few weeks ago, we read the story of Job. And, and to get a, just a fresh perspective on Job again was interesting. And there's a lot of it. got to get bogged down in the book itself. But the story up front of Job was blessed like like all of us would say, maybe more than anybody of his day, and he was a godly man, but then God took it away. He took away the crops and the herds, and and He took away His children, and He took away His health, and He took away all semblance of comfort. That's hard for us to imagine, right? But again, who does it belong to? God. He had the right to take it away. He took it away, and Job still remained faithful and blessed, and then God gave him more than he had to start with. But the simple fact was that God had the right to take it all away, and God could do that. He could do that. He would have the right to do that. Now, I think in theory, we know all these things, right? But uh, that He's the source of life. It all belongs to Him. But in practice, we take ownership, and we begin to think like and begin to act as if it is ours. And that really, again, is kind of an arrogant way to think. I mean, why did God give it to us? We talked about this a little bit last week, but why did God give us so much? We don't know why we're so blessed with so much and other people have so little. Do you deserve it because you uh, are just a better person than other people? No, we're probably not. We can even get more selfish, right? Do you work harder than other people? Do you think you're the hardest worker in the world? I want to tell you, I went to Haiti, I've been there several times and I have seen, the first time I was there, I, I saw something unusual. I mean, I grew up on the farm and used tools all along. Everything, most everything is a hand tool. But I saw shovels. This, this shovel looked like a full-size shovel, but the blade was only about that long. And, and a guy was shoveling rock with it. And I'm like, why would, do they make a shovel that small? And somebody said, no, he's worn that shovel out. He's worn about a foot off that shovel. It's not, it's... Can you imagine wearing a shovel out? Any of us, we don't work. I don't work that hard. I'm telling you, I break a handle or that rots out before I would. So anywhere, you're not the hardest person, worker in the world. People outwork us. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve what we have. And so what we have to understand that all of our possessions are gifts from God. But when God gives us His gifts, God in turns expects us to do something with it and to be wise managers. That's what we are, stewards that God given When God gives us gifts, we become the manager. He doesn't surrender his rights to the owner. He's ownership. He's still the primary owner. And because of that, God cares what we do with our possessions. He really does. He knows and cares. If He knows and sees the smallest ant, then believe me, He sees what you're doing with what He has entrusted to your care. He knows what we're doing. And some of us get that and some of us don't get that. But I would tell you, that is the very best way to look at life. You know, I've never been so grateful. I don't believe in my entire life to God for for what I have uh, as, as just this time in my life. Certainly, we're not rich at all. But, but we're blessed far beyond what I ever imagined that we'd be able to do. I mean, really, I, I just never thought about it and being blessed by God. And I think all of us could share that sentiment, you know. I know what it's like to, to receive. I know everything I have has been received. And I know what it's like to give away. And I love being in that position of being able to do that. A lot of you know that I, uh, my hobby is, uh, is furniture and, and making things, repurposing things, I love doing that. And people give me things. You guys are, are many of you giving given me things, and I haven't done something with all of them yet. I might at some point. Some people could call that, call that hoarding. Um, I call it gathering. I think it's, it sounds better. makes me feel better about it. But what I love about it, you know, is, is when somebody gives me something, I can sometimes see potential in that. If, if not in its original form, then maybe to be a little bit better or different, right? Uh, so, and some of it I do repurpose and sell some of it but I give a lot of it away as well. And this past uh, week, Lori said, uh, she went to the barn and she began to dig through my stuff and say, I need this and this and this, because there's a family uh, that uh, a domestic abuse situation, she's going to need a house refurnished or some furniture. So, so I'm going to be giving it away. It looks like a lot of it here in the next few, next few weeks, but that's cool. It's good because that's been given to me. And it's really funny how that happens. And uh, a few months ago. I'll tell you a little story. A few months ago, uh, Dan, our worship guy, his his parents moved down here, and they had some extra uh, furniture left over, really cool little table, little drop-leaf table, really neat, and they gave it to him. I said, that's too nice to give. We just don't have any place for it. So as I do, I I needed something to do one day, and I went in there and dug out this table, and I I painted it, distressed it a little bit, painted the top. I thought it looked good. It was Kentucky, blue and white. You could beat that, all right? And so, I, have a, I had a little booth uh, in the flea market, and Dan was helping me one day, and he goes, hey, I love that table. My parents have a table just like that. I'm like, Dan, that is your table. it's your parents' table right there. He said, can I buy it? I said, no, but you can have it. I'm not going to sell you a table that you gave me. I mean, I, I'm not above that, but I'm not going to do it, you know. I'm not going to do that. And so, he goes, I, I don't feel right about that. So, he got the table, and he gave me a desk on top of it. So, now I've got a desk. I've got two. But I love being in a place It's fun, you know, and, and just to, to be the receiver and the giver. I think God wants us to live like that. But when we do that, we have to remember that God owns it all. He owns everything, and God allows us to possess these wonderful things in life to enjoy and to use and pass along at some point. And I'm going to be honest, it takes a lot of pressure off us when we view things that we have as gods and we hold them loosely. It takes a lot of pressure off us because God owns it. We're just using it. And you might say, God, you know what? I really appreciate you letting me use your car for a while. In my case, my truck, it, you know, it's it's a great vehicle, but it's it's getting worn out because we're doing a lot of work on it, you and I, and we're driving around a great deal. And we may need to work at some point to get your truck fixed Because it's starting to need some few things, you know, God, so, you know, it's kind of letting you know, putting you up there, because I have to anoint it with oil several, pretty often, you know, at this point in life. You know, it's cool to be able to do that and be partners with God, because God's ownership is a really important thing to understand. It's a basic principle that you got to wrap your head around, because if you don't, you're going to struggle all your life with possessions. You're going to struggle all your life if you don't understand who it belongs to. But if you get it, you're going to find a peace that you never experienced. It's not yours anyway. It all belongs to God. Here's the second principle today, is that the first of everything belongs exclusively to God. The first of, belongs to God. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. God gives us a lot of leeway to do, decide what we do with the things he, he loans us, but the first part of what He gives us always needs to go back to Him. And this principle is in in the the Bible, uh, throughout the Bible, but it begins in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Bring the best of the firstfruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now, he's talking about this is the, the firstborn, belongs to God. You know, we still, we still saw this in our life. We, we committed all of our kids to Jesus. But our firstborn, our son, uh, was the very first one, and we had trouble uh, getting pregnant. In fact, our oldest son is, our son is adopted. And I remember us saying, this child belongs to God. I mean, all of our kids belong to God, but this child belongs to God. And we had no idea that God was going to take him to Hong Kong, but, but he, he committed his life to Christ, and we, we get that. We understand that. That, that the first one belongs to God, and all of them do, but, but I think God's doing something different with his life, and so we get it, and we accept that. But here's the other thing that it says. It doesn't say you give the first one. If you notice, it says you bring it. You bring it. Why do you bring it? Because it doesn't belong to you. It it's already belongs to God. If I borrow your lawnmower, and then come back and say, hey, I'm going to give you your lawnmower. i give you a lawnmower. You're like, no, you're not giving me. It's my lawnmower. You're bringing it home. I'm not giving it. I'm just bringing it. And that's the perspective the Bible has. The language is clear. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. You know, when you think about sacrifice and how we do that in our attitude and hearts, in Genesis chapter 4, we were a pretty interesting story about sacrifice and about how we do that. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God. Uh, Let me remind you, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soils and offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborns of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And we know the story that Cain was rejected by God, and Cain took his anger out on his brother and ended up killing Abel, his brother. But have you ever wondered why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted and Abel's was? And I've heard a lot of theories about this, and I've never really felt comfortable with any one of them except this. I think this may be it. Let's look and see what what they brought. It's not that the fact that Cain brought fruit or plants or produce and Abel brought an an animal. I don't don't think that's it. But look what it says, the language, in the course of time... Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. And Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstborn of his flock. Now, we don't know exactly, but but this could be the answer, that Cain brought some when he got around to it. In the course of time, after a while, when everything was going great, Cain, and he produced a lot, Cain brought some of the fruit from his garden, but Abel brought the first fruits. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So, in other words, Cain knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew it was wrong, and God said to him, if you'll do what is right, you're going to be rewarded, but keep doing what's wrong, and you're going to be rejected. So, the Bible teaches the idea of giving, the principle of tithing the first fruits. Now, some people say that tithing was only under the Old Testament law. I get that. And that we're not under the law today. And absolutely, we are not under the law. Through Christ, we've been freed from that. But the principle was established a long time before the law was given. And for, just for time perspective, Moses gave the law about 1500 B.C. Cain and Abel lived about 4000 B.C. So Cain and Abel were tithing their first fruits 2500 years before the law was given. Murder was wrong when Cain did it 2,000, 2,500 years before the law said do not murder. It didn't become wrong when the law said it was wrong and tithing didn't start whenever the law was given. Many of the laws that that Moses gave were just simply reinforcing God's previous commandments. Abraham lived 500 years before the law was given and he tithed, he gave a 10th of what he had to a man that we've never heard about, a a mystery figure. Uh, And Hebrews chapter 7 describes it, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without the beginning of days or end of days, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. That's intriguing, isn't it? Abraham was the top dog in that day, and he, you know, people gave him tithes and—and and, you know, for his protection, or they paid him uh, money. But Abraham met Melchizedek, who resembled the Son of God, And he gave him a tenth of everything he had. So 500 years before Moses gave the law of tithing, God was already doing that. And that brings us to the last point, and that is the fact that the tithe belongs to God. It all belongs to God, but then God says, I want to set one-tenth of it aside to be returned back to him. And the rest of that we use for ourselves, and we bless other people as well. Now, we talk about tithes, and people say, well, I gave him a tithe, and, and that becomes just any gift. But that's not really what a tithe is. A tie literally is one-tenth of everything that we have. And it's the first fruit, again, the principle that we have there. So if you had a ewe sheep, I know most of you don't have sheep today, but let's just say you had a ewe sheep, because that kind of goes along with that day, and that sheep had ten lambs over her lifetime, you were to give the first lamb to God. The first lamb belonged to God, and, and not the tenth lamb. Because the first lamb is the first fruits. It doesn't take any faith to give the tenth lamb, but it takes faith to give the first lamb. I mean, that's just as simple as that, and that's kind of what God asks us to do. God says, you give me the first, and the rest will be blessed, as will you. You know, I've heard people say that they sacrificed and tithed, and that week, God immediately gave them their money back. I'm not doubting that, but that's not my understanding of what tithing is about, you know? Um, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It really isn't. Tithing is a key component in being generous and being a good shepherd, a good steward of what we have. You know, Lori and I have tithed as long as I can remember. And and there's been a lot of unexpected checks in the mail. We got one the other day uh, for $487. We're like, wow, this is awesome. Where did this come from? Who gave us this check? Turned out it was that we had had an MRI or she had and we paid $500, and, and they kept 13 of it, and we got it back. We didn't expect that. I mean, that happens. You know, who would, who would expect that to happen? There are a lot of unexpected checks in the mail we didn't anticipate. But, there's, but there have been many more blessings out of the blue, opportunities that we never saw coming. Just trusting God, it's, it's just a, it's a great plan. Overall, we've come to trust that whenever we honor God first with at least a 10% of what we have— then God just keeps blessing in so many ways. He just does. It just works. And, and we do try to give before anything else comes out of our first fruits. It's kind of hard anymore, because, you know, when it goes in your account because somebody's debiting it out or, you're, you know, things come and go quickly. It's not right, like writing a check, I guess. But what we discovered, if we pay everything else first, there's never any money left. Never 10% left of it. But if we tithe first, everything else is covered. And to be honest with you, it just makes good financial sense. We make a lot of dumb money mistakes. We eat out too much. We do that, and we do dumb things. But our primary money rule that I believe helps us get by in life, I would never deviate, is that we give first. We tithe first. God says it well in Malachi 3. He says, "'Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this,' says the Lord Almighty.' And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. I will pre- prevent pest from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. That all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Did you catch that? He says, You will be blessed. I will prevent pest from devouring your crops, and I will keep your fruit from falling off the vine before it's ripe. Now, in our analogy, it's, it's going to be different like that, that God's going to care for what we have and protect us from, uh, from problems, happen, financial mistakes happening in our life if we honor Him. Now, why did, why did God say 10%? I don't know. I have no idea. Why not 5? Why not 20? I, don't, I have no idea, right? Maybe it would be because it would be simple to figure. Everybody can figure 10%. It's not, it's not hard. A hundred bucks is ten dollars, and a thousand bucks is a hundred dollars. I, I, even I can figure that. I'm no math person. But also, I think it's handy because it's a percentage, so it's equal for everybody. It's equal. You make a lot, you make a little, you can give equally. God says, I want you to just honor me in that way. And listen how God describes it a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. So in Old Testament times, they would tithe everything. They would, even deal seeds and mustard seeds, they would count out the ten and give God, you know, one of those, the first one. God says that tithe is holy to Him. And that phrase is interesting. Do you see what you give to God as holy? Is it, is it holy? Do you recognize it as holy, the first thing that you have? Sometimes if, if we give cheerfully, which the Bible says we should, we shouldn't give resentfully, but maybe even then we don't see it as holy. This is a holy thing that I'm giving to God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Because it's His, we don't give it. It's not ours to give. We bring it, right? Remember that little, little story. And we don't steal from God. In fact, in Malachi 3, he asked, will a mere man mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you asked, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And I believe that we choose either a blessing or a curse, from God. Let me give an example of this from the Bible itself. This is really interesting. I never thought a lot about this in this perspective. But back when the people of Israel were going into the promised land, God had given them this land, and the first city they came to, they crossed the Jordan River. Almost immediately, there was a city there called Jericho. And Jericho was the, probably the capital of uh, the Canaanites, heavily fortified, huge wall, massive walls, well-protected, and in Leviticus chapter 6, there's an amazing story about how they took that city. They, God said, I want you to walk around the city. Just walk around it. So, they, for seven days, they walked around the city one time a day. On the seventh day, they walked around the city uh, seven times. And I believe they blew a trumpet when that happened. I, I haven't read a, real, a lot of it really recently. But when they did that, the walls fell and they rushed in and plundered the city. And God told them, this is interesting, God told them to bring all of the gold, the silver, and the valuable things and put them in His treasury, God's treasury. Now, they didn't do that with every city. They, they were going to take the whole land, but they did not do it with every city. They were told to do that with just Jericho. Why? Do you know why? Because it was the first city, the first city. The first fruits of the plunder all belonged to God. Now, so that supposedly happened. The next city to be taken was a small city called Ai, which I don't think even had a wall at all. And they had a very small army. And Joshua said, we don't even need to all of us go out. We're just going to send a few people down to take over the city of Ai, right? So they sent them down there. And the Israelites were defeated by a tiny army. The second city going in, they were defeated by a tiny army. And Joshua was stunned and he cried out to God, I thought you said you were going to help us do this. But if you know the story, you know that God revealed to Joshua that someone had taken some of the items from Jericho, and they belonged to him. It's kind of interesting. In Leviticus 7, God said, they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. And so, in a process of elimination, they discovered that it was a man named Achan who had taken a robe, five pounds of silver, and a pound and a half of gold, that should have been God's. God claimed, this is mine. And when they found out who it was, this is one of the harsh stories of the Bible, but punishment was swift. It says, then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the gold, excuse me, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkey, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will surely bring trouble on you today. And then all Israel stoned him. And after that, they had stoned the rest. They burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a pile of large rocks. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Wow. I think that's an example of people who stole from God. Now, again, going back to my analogy earlier, aren't you glad that God is a patient God and that God doesn't bring that on us today? But it's not wise to test the patience of God. I believe that. And I think that's why Malachi says that you're under curse when you rob God. So, we're going to choose to be blessed or to be cursed today. And I think that's an important thing for us to wrestle with and deal with that. So, who really owns everything? God does. God owns it all. We got to get that in our mind or we're going to struggle all of our life. Even whether you acknowledge Him or not, God owns it all. He owns it all. And that, I believe, is maybe the key to understand what do we do with the blessings that we have? How do we view them? We hold them loosely, loosely, and freely, and generously because God's given them to us for that purpose to be a good steward a manager, and also to give generously. And you know, God set the example of that because He gave generously. What did He give to us or who did He give? He gave not just His first, but His only begotten Son. And Christ is the first fruits, the Bible says. He gave to us so that we might have redemption. In just a moment, we're going to share in our time of communion a way to respond to what God has done for us when He gave us Jesus. And, and we invite you, if you're a believer, to join us in that. Our tradition is just to come forward to the table and circle back to our seats. And if you're not comfortable doing that, just, or you prefer not to, just raise your hand, and one of our deacons will serve you from the back. But this is the time for us to remember God's generosity and His kindness and His giving of Jesus for our sins. And as we take the piece of bread and the cup of juice that represents His body and blood— Let us remember His love and His generosity and respond accordingly. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. God, we are humbled because we are are definitely aware that we do not deserve Your blessings. We've done nothing to earn them, but God, You give them freely and the greatest of which is Jesus. So, Lord, now as we come to the table and we come to share um, uh, and commune with You and with one another, uh, Lord, remind us of Your incredible love, Your generosity. Uh, That your management of what you have, and while we don't always understand it, uh, good or bad in our life, God, we trust you that you always do what is right, and we trust you that you call us to be faithful. May we be faithful in remembering Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.